I'm Josh Sigmund, and I'm a mortgage lender. I'm also a geek for money, not just earning it and saving it, but literally everything about it. I love that money has rules. It has its truths. I love investment strategies, and I love making money work for us. For so many, money is emotional. For me, it's logical, like a puzzle. My passion is also helping others with their money. I love looking at people's finances, dissecting their puzzle, and rebuilding with strategy and purpose, and I'm really good at it. I'm making this podcast about my money strategies, not the things that are written in books or sold in programs. It's a podcast outlining the lessons I've learned and used for the past 15 years. These strategies help me and those who use them save more, give more, create wealth, and retire early. Let me teach you how to build your net worth. You ready? Welcome to Sigmund Sense. Ah, welcome back to Sigmund Sense. I'm getting used to this whole social distancing thing now, I guess. Um, I don't feel quite so strange speaking in a room by myself like a crazy person. Uh, and yet here I am. And so uh, I want to talk about a different avenue. Um, and this is really about how to amass your financial team. So this is, you know, you can s- separate this from real estate for the time being. This is more about your personal money. And uh, what I have found is that everyone's got an, uh, an opinion and everyone knows somebody. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it's what we don't know that keeps on killing us. And it's, it's uh, something I'll keep on saying again and again and again over years of hopefully this podcast going is it's what you don't know that gets you in trouble, right? So before I get started, uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, share, uh, give us some comments. I'd love to hear your personal feedback. If it's something that's impactful or helpful for you, or if there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss in the future, uh, I can't fix what I don't know is broken. So please, please, please give us that feedback, like, share, and, and share it with somebody else that you know, uh, a family member or a friend that you know might need some financial guidance. Uh, at least it's a good place to start. So uh, we're talking about amassing your financial team. So I'm tell you a story about a girlfriend of mine, uh, as in a girlfriend, not a girlfriend. Uh, my wife would kill me if I if she knew I just said that accidentally on on uh, on radio. But I've got a very good girlfriend of mine named Lisa, and Christy does like Lisa, by the way. Um, and Lisa uh, has been a seven figure earner actually for years, and she's had a financial planner partner that she's been sending her money to, and she's been saving for her financial future. And she um, and she and I were talking and. Uh, in general, one of the things I, I think that people don't do a good job of is we just assume because a financial planner or CPA has CFP behind their name or CPA behind their name or JD behind their attorney name, that they are the smartest guy in the room and clearly they've got it all figured out. And Lisa is a mortgage lender herself. And uh, after working with this financial planner for years, sending her the majority of her net worth to invest in real estate, this financial planner applied for a loan with her. And it wasn't until the financial planner applied for a loan with her that she found out that the guy didn't have a cent to his name, was taking out payday loans, um, and generally was in financial ruin. And yet this guy is the guy that's going to give her advice and is going to be in charge of her financial future and her retirement. And I think that paints the picture that, that you guys all need to hear out there, which is, 
just because they are in the profession does not make them great at their job. And we all have horror stories of this doctor saved the, saved the person's life and this doctor in the same field cut off the wrong arm <laughs> in an operation. And so all this is, is about is you got to be comfortable asking questions. You have to be comfortable interviewing them. Um, yes, it's daunting when you go in for your first conversation with a CPA or financial planner. If you know that, ah, my numbers are weak or shit, I don't know what I'm doing or hell, I'm a kid. I'm 22 years old trying to make my first attempt at getting to know a financial planner to start my investment and just looking at the financial planner that's the big powerful man or woman on the other side of the table being like, okay, I don't know what to say or what to do. Um, but you would be doing yourself a disservice if you did not ask the question. So, um, who should be part of your financial team? And, and it's not the same for everybody, but, but as things grow, as time progresses, I'll kind of give you your, your hit list. Um, the primary person that, 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 that I think everyone should have at least early on, uh, in the process is going to be a CPA. Okay. Um, yes, you can do, you can go online and do your taxes on your own. Um, but what I found is that, you know, especially early on when you, when people have non-complicated or easy returns to file, you know, a CPA won't charge you a lot, but if they just find one extra write-off that you weren't, uh, didn't know about quite often, that's enough to pay their CPA bill. And by the way, CPA bills are tax deductible the next year as well. So it's, it doesn't usually take a mountain of effort on their side to find ways to save you money to pay for their own bill. So I think it's just a good, smart place to start. I think if you buy a house, anyone that's bought a house for the first time ever needs a CPA at least that year. If you're a small business owner, for sure. Uh, and make sure you're dealing with CPAs, not just bookkeepers, right? Um, somebody that's that's licensed. Uh, I would also work on getting referrals of a couple CPAs that deal with a specific industry that you're in. Um, so for example, there are CPAs that, that, that specialize in the small business owner. There's certain CPAs that only like to deal with W-2s and they're more transactional. They, they do a lot of them, you know, 300 bucks a pop, you know, that's their shtick. Uh, there's some that get totally involved in a small business and almost become like a uh, internal um, CFO almost, uh, just kind of giving guidance, running the books, dealing with payroll. So there's different CPA levels for whatever your personal needs are. Uh, but I think it's super important to find them and interview them. And we'll get into those interview questions later on. Uh, the second person that I think should be uh, met with early is a, a financial planner. Uh, CFP designations are very difficult to come by. Uh, there are not a lot of them. Uh, there are a lot of people that can deal with just stock trades. You know, group one, group two, series seven, series six licensing is not the hardest thing in the world to do by itself. In fact, Yours truly has had uh, a couple licenses on my own um, in the past, but um, getting a CFP designation or somebody that's dealing with uh, um, uh, estate planning if you're older in life or have some money to worry about with estate planning, you want to start figuring out uh, the financial planner for sure. You know, I get I talk to some of my friends and, and, you know, there's some really wicked smart guys that I know. And there's this one guy in particular, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, but he doesn't believe in paying fees to financial planners. Uh, and he'd rather just do indexes on his own and pay $7 per trade and buy into indexes to keep the fees as low as possible. And compared to the masses of financial planners, that's not a bad strategy. What I would tell you is that 
And what I told him is that he's not a uh, guy that's watching the market every single day. Uh, he is not on the most up-to-date information on, on every single business out there. And because it's not his core business, you should pay a professional whatever percent it takes to manage as long as that management is outperforming the general market, right? Um, so I personally believe that you pay for professions. Like I'm a loan officer. Uh, I know how to write contracts for real estate, yet I use realtors when I when I buy and sell real, real estate. Why? Because nine times out of 10, I might've gotten it right, nothing went wrong. But guess what I need when things go wrong? I need a good realtor on my side. Um, same thing with attorneys and paperwork. You know, I, I've done private lending before and hard money loans myself, and I've done it kind of on a handshake because I trust a guy. But guess what? The ones that uh, that uh, I've really needed, I've used a good real estate attorney locally. The guy's name is Clayton Smystrula, and he protects me. And so when those cases have come where uh, bad things happen, even though with the good intentions, bad things happen, and he's got my back and he solves problems and he's worth his weight and gold. I don't care what I pay him. Um, so I think with a financial planner, you've got to take that stance as well that, you know, we don't want to trip over uh, dollars to save nickels, right? Um, and I feel like that's what happens quite often when people are trying to do their trading on their own. I myself have a small E-Trade account to play with, which is not the majority of my money in the stock market. I do that because I want to better understand and have a reason to watch the market and certain stocks closely and because I'm a gambler. But I'm gambling. I'm buying individual stocks. I'm gambling, you know, and uh, it's a small percentage of my of my uh, of my money, not a large percentage. The the majority of it I feel like should go into a financial planner. And when you're dealing with zero to five hundred thousand dollars of money invested in the market, I think it should be with mutual funds, not with stocks. Um, I think once you're over about a half a million dollars uh, um, invested, then you can start dealing with uh, institutional uh, investors. Um, you can deal with some individual stock dabbling, but it should not be the majority. And again, if I'm paying, uh, and by the way, the more money you have invested with a stockbroker, uh, typically the lower the fees are because a lot of times it's based on assets under management. So the more you put with them, they're incentivized to grow it. They make less of a percentage, but they're making their livelihood off of it. And uh, it behooves them to do well and watch it. I'll go more into interview questions and, and kind of follow up with those shortly. Um, insurance companies and insurance uh, agents, there's two types of insurance that you have to deal with. One is property casualty. One is life and health. I think these are huge parts of your team to watch out on your, on your family's finances. Now, property casualty insurance, think about car insurance and your home insurance. If the house burns down or the car gets wrecked, we want that car back, right? Um, so that's the property casualty type of insurance. And I like insurance companies that uh, are proactive, not reactive. Most of the time when you shop around for insurance, you decide on whoever and you switch companies to save 50 bucks, right? Over time, insurance tends to go up. But it takes a proactive insurance company that reaches out to you annually and say, hey, listen, you're coming up on your annual uh, renewal. I'm going to proactively shop around and see if I can save you bucks. Those are the kinds of companies that you want to work with. And, and for example, my guys that I work with, they all do that. Um, they're proactive in their approach. They're customer service oriented. Yes, you want to make sure that they're selling good insurance because it doesn't matter if they're great at service if they don't cover what you need covered, right? Um, but you need to be spoken the truth to too. You know, um, you pay you know pay pennies for an insurance policy. It's not it's going to pay pennies on the dollar when you need it, right? 
you want to really pay for a little bit higher coverage or at least understand the risk that you have by taking this insurance policy for a thousand a year versus this insurance policy policy for 1500 bucks a year. And what is the deductible difference? What is the coverage difference? What are the ways out that the, because remember insurance companies are profitable. It's not because they pay out every claim. So you want to make sure there's that good balance, but somebody that's honest, that's going to explain to you the difference of the coverages is, is, uh, is so valuable uh, in your portfolio. Separate of property casualty, you need to know and have a life and health insurance agent in your corner as well. Whew, this one's a tough subject and not everyone's going to agree with me or this is not going to be a popular uh, subject. Uh, years ago, when I first got into, into the real world and I left college, I got into uh, life and health insurance sales. I did it for a couple of years with Bankers Life and Casualty and it was a real eye-opener because you know, a couple of things. People sell the products that they believe in uh, um, or insurance agents sell the products that they can make money at. Um, and they're not always both aligned with what you probably need at the time. Um, so it's hard to decipher this, but it comes down to integrity of an insurance agent in the first place of not pushing a product on you that you don't need. But here's my truth. Uh, my truth is, is that anyone that's married or has kids needs life insurance unless they're at a point where there's enough money in the estate that's liquid that in the event of their death, there's no life insurance needed. There, it wouldn't matter that there's enough money there to pay the bills forever or at least till kids grow up and wife remarries, right? Um, but for the most part, everyone needs life insurance. Now, how you get that life insurance, again, is a conversation with a professional. Um, there's a difference, for example, between term insurance and whole insurance whole life insurance. Uh, there's um, a need for some people to have long-term care insurance, but there's uh, definitely other people that do not need to be paying that, that premium for sure. Um, there's the differences between different health insurance coverages and then getting into Medicare versus Medicaid. And just being able to explain how do I protect myself if I go to the, to the doctor's office versus how do I protect my family if I die? And then down to disability insurance, you know, we all make our decisions in the best of times, but shit, what if I get hit by a truck that I wasn't planning on and I'm disabled and I can't work for a prolonged period of time? In my opinion, disability insurance is one of the most important things, which happens to be one of the most expensive things too, but to cover a family, disability insurance is super important, especially if it's the primary breadwinner. Uh, you don't want that primary breadwinner to go out of a job, lose their job, get hit, get disabled, have a sickness or an ailment, um, and not be able to work for a prolonged period of time and now have to bankrupt the rest of the family because of it. So that ins insurance professional, both property casualty and life and, life and health, is about the defense side of your financial team, right? The CPA and financial planners are typically more of the offense side of your, of your personal team. Uh, oh, and the last piece of the puzzle I'd throw in is going to be an attorney, um, there's several types of attorneys that you might enlist, again, depending on your net worth. But uh, estate attorneys or estate planning attorneys are super important and beneficial the more money that you amass. But even if you don't have a lot of money, going back to if you're married or have kids, yes, you probably need to talk to an attorney to drop you some basic stuff. You know, I was, uh, my personal estate attorney is a lady named Gina Gadke. I put her as top two, three smartest humans in the world. She doesn't know I'm saying that about her. She'd probably blush and be mad at me if she heard. Uh, she's a fellow Trinity graduate, graduate. She's got a background with accounting. Then she got a JD. She's just wicked smart, right? 
And um, she created my will and my trust and a couple other uh, power of attorneys that I have over the course of the last seven or eight years. It wasn't until about um, six months ago, or not even three months ago, I was sitting down with her. I was like, Gina, you're so smart, and I've never referred to you anyone. I need to find somebody to refer you, like help you build your business. You know, Tell me, Gina, what's an ideal referral for you? And her answer, now this is somebody that I spent a lot of money on and fees annually. Um, that's probably one of the reasons I don't refer very often is just because I don't know a whole lot of people that are, that need that level of help in my mind. So I kind of, you know, said, I don't, they don't need it in general. And her answer was, well, shit, anyone married or anyone with kids are my ideal clients. I was like, wow, I know a lot of those people. And she, and I said, can I ask you like, why that would be your answer? Like clearly not everyone has a state issue problems. You know, you don't really have a state issue problems unless you're coming up on or expect to have over 20 million in the bank or in total assets upon death. There's not really at this time an estate issue problem. It'll, it'll, um, in a couple of years, long story, but it, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a rollback, it looks like, in which case that number will be lower. Now, but my point is, is that uh, I was curious, like why that would be her answer. And she said, well, you'd be surprised how many people that are married that uh, one person doesn't die, but goes into a coma. And the other spouse isn't on that bank account that has all the money in it. And they have no right to access that bank account because he's still alive. And so having an estate attorney uh, or a good attorney in general to help out with basic powers of attorney, like, um, you know, do not resuscitate. Like, how about this one? Who gets the kids? Because that's a, that's a fun question and argument to have with your spouse one night is in the event we both go down in a fiery plane crash uh, and I've got three kids under 12, who's going to get my kids? And on top of that, who's going to be the financial parent for my kids? And who's going to make sure that that financial planner does, or, uh, that financial uh, parent for my kids doesn't steal money? So who's the person behind the person to make sure that those checks are written and go where they're supposed to go? And if you don't make those choices yourself, because you keep on pushing off and deferring these conversations with, with an attorney, then the, the court system will make those for you in the event of your death. And that's not a place that I'm prepared for for my kids. Um, I don't want there to be contestation of who gets my kids or who's going to manage my, my portfolio or how fast my spouse can access money in the event of my death. I want that to all be done with a trust, right? So a will and trust attorney and a state attorney are super important as you keep on growing. And I'd say sooner rather than, rather than later, just start it. By the way, it is super inexpensive in the grand scheme of things to get a those basic power of attorneys done. So big endorsement to Gina. She, it's super inexpensive to do it. It's super important and imperative to do it as well. Um, so those are type, the, in my opinion, the, the main box of who should be in your financial team. Uh, again, I'm trying to leave out real estate this time because this is a separate overall conversation. And yes, you're going to want to have your realtor and your lender and all those other people involved. But those are the main ones for your personal wealth, okay? So going back to the beginning, now, how do we find them one and how do we interview them second? I think are super important to understand, okay? Um, all of you know somebody in theory that's better off than you, okay? Financially speaking, ask them, who, do, who are they using? You know, the, we've all heard that statement that you are who you hang with. So we want to level up to a better echelon of financial people and one of the ways to do that is just to ask. If you know somebody that's successful, uh, for sure, not they appear to because they drive a Ferrari, but because they shared with you their financial real success and 
Uh, they're humble enough to also point out their failings as well. Um, ask them who they might refer and then set an appointment with them. Um, uh, ask who their referring partners are. Ask who their CPA financial attorneys, ask if they'll give a warm endorsement to them so that you can get, even if you're not qualified yet to be with that financial planner, if that person endorses you and says, hey, I know this young kid, Matt, he's a super cool guy. Uh, He's just graduating from UTSA. Uh, he's going to be great one day. Would you do me a favor and meet with him as a, as a favor to me to give him some guidance early on? Guess what? That financial planner, because of the endorsement from the guy that, that he's got money with, is going to say yes. And it's a great starting point to get, if you're Matt and you want to meet that financial planner, to get that meeting, right? Uh, so get some introductions. Don't just wing it. Don't just look on the face. Don't just look up on social media. Uh, don't just uh, Google, you know, uh, Edward Jones Associates in the city. Um, don't wing it. You know, try and find out where wealthy people or wealthy or well-to-do people have their money, who their relationships are, who they're using. Second, when you take that appointment, you don't put your money with the first person you meet with, nor do you in, uh, uh, invest with the first person, nor do you get insurance with the first person, especially if you have no knowledge of that person, unless for sure you trust the source of the referral. Um, but what I'm trying to get to is if you are the person that doesn't know that rich person uh, or doesn't have the resource, then you need to interview at least two, at least just because um, you don't really, you can't in the first meeting only, you don't know a feeling about somebody. If you put two or three side by side, one of them is going to stand out as smarter or has a better process or better procedures or asks better questions. And that should stand out to you as, wow, this person's a real professional because guess what? Professionals follow processes, procedures, and ask great questions. Uh, Salespeople wing it a lot. And so that's a good indicator of who you're really dealing with. Are there processes, procedures, and great questions asked is a great little light bulb for you of, aha, I might be talking to the right person. Um, They're going to be asking questions of you and it's totally fair for you to ask questions of them. Okay. So going back to my friend Lisa earlier on the conversation when I I told you that uh, poor Lisa had to find out that all of her net worth almost was invested with a guy that didn't have net worth. How would that make you feel? Uh, I'll take a sip while you you think about that, right? So I didn't have the same issue personally. And the reason I didn't have the same issue is twofold. Uh, Number one with my financial planner, Early on, I asked him to show me how much money he had. Not tell me, show me. Early on, I said, hey, listen, I want to see what you're, where, where you are personally invested because I don't want to invest in shit that you're not invested in because you're a financial planner. So let me see that you have money. Let me see that you're investing well or amassing wealth. And then let me see where you're investing it and make sure you're investing me in the same areas. If we're, again, the same age group or close to it. Now, obviously, an older financial planner has different strategies because they're older and they're closer to retirement. So keep that in mind. Um, but they want to see you with your clothes off. Um, don't be afraid to see their, them with their clothes off, which means show me the money. Derek, you better yell. Show me the money. Show me where it really is. Like, don't tell me, show me what you got. Right. Uh, I think it's important to ask questions like, and, and this will get people to flinch a little bit and it's super uncomfortable to ask, especially the first few times, but Hey, Bob, Hey, thanks so much. I loved your presentation. How much did you make last year? Just ask him. Ask him, hey, Bob, 
because they might answer it, they might not. Say, uh, how do you make your money? And they should be able to tell you exactly how it is. But, you know, I make this much on assets under management. I make this much with A shares or B shares or C shares. Uh, I make this much when you go over this point. This is how I make my money. Any other questions? If they give you a, a shady answer, that's another light bulb of up oh, warning sign. I need to know what's going on here. Um, but you're interviewing. And so other questions they ask would be, tell me about your continuing education. What do you do? What was the last continuing education, education, education class that you took? Uh, I've got a buddy of mine named Eric. Dude, I did this guy's loan when he left the military. Uh, he became a financial advisor, CFP, and the, and acronym and acronym and acronym and acronym and acronym after his name. Because the dude is just a weirdo for knowledge, and I like that. I want guys that are in my corner that are weirdos for knowledge to make me think about and understand and find holes that I didn't know about. Um, but if they rattle off the, well, I do this designation and this designation, and this is where I go for my education, and this is how much my company requires, this is how much I require of my team, um, that's a great question to understand. Like, is this person like still living in the dark ages of the eighties or is this person like up to date? You know, I think about my dad, my dad's a doctor and he's in his seventies right now, but he's still practicing. Um, but he's a studied man. Like this guy, uh, went back, uh, to get a fellowship, you know, 20 years into his career, like to, because he seeks knowledge and he wants to know the next thing and stay up with the times because, uh, you know, as a doctor, his decisions can save or kill people, right? Well, financially speaking, the decisions and guidance given to you by your financial planner or your insurance company can make or break your retirement. And so that's why I'm so fervently a believer in if somebody is unwilling to share their information with you, show you what they've got, they don't need to show you the account numbers. But shit, they should have a P&L themselves or they should have uh, an, an, an asset sheet themselves that they can show you, hey, I've got a million and a half dollars in the bank. Here's where it's invested. This is what I've got in cash. And this is why I, re I recommend the same thing to you. Two thumbs up. Somebody that's going to tell you to invest in the same thing they're invested in, they're, that, that, they're making a believer out of me, right? Um, also ask them, what additional business partners and resources that they have, they're privy to. What's really interesting is, um, you know, I've got two financial planners that I believe in heartily, two insurance agents I believe in heartily. Um, and when I asked them for references, when I, back seven years ago, when I was going into uh, uh, looking at a will and trust and an estate planning uh, situation, it's funny, Gina's name came from both of my, an insurance agent and my financial planner. Um, the same name. I was like, oh, great. So now I've got some validation that this is really a business partner that not only do I trust, but that's hardwired with other people that, that are on my team. Because what you want to do moving forward is, again, it's, it's super uncomfortable to ask some questions, but you don't do yourselves any favors by not asking, what do you do? How do you train? Where's your knowledge from? How much money do you earn? How do you earn your money? Uh, um, what's the, what are some professional, uh, uh, give me some, uh, uh, people that I can call that are your existing clients that I can talk to and understand, uh, uh, um, just like you're interviewing a new employee, like do some research on them and find out what is the service level been. If they can't provide those to you, uh, warning signs all over the place. So, um, interview and have a conversation. And what I tell you here, guys, is go with your gut. That's why if it's not a direct referral to a good person that was somebody you trust, go with your gut. 
If your gut says, ah, oh, there's something shady, talk to two or three others and you'll know because you're asking, again, you should be asking the same questions of each of these people you're interviewing and your gut will tell you, yeah, this is the brightest uh, light in the, in the room. Uh, this is the smartest. This is the most honest. What I love about Ron Anderson is a good example. Ron Anderson is the first financial planner I ever worked with. I still work into this day with, with a lot of my money. Uh, Eric Kala is another amazing resource for me. He has some of my money as well for different reasons. But what I love about uh, Ron Anderson and why I refer him so often to first-time homebuyers, uh, or sorry, uh, first-time investors, is, is the care that he gave me when I was 23-year-old snotty-nosed brat. I owe him loyalty forever because he interviewed me uh, three times, never charged me a dollar. We met three times for me to better understand what we're doing. He wanted to do a risk profile, want to understand what my risk tolerance was. He wanted to make sure that I had all my questions answered. He wanted to make sure that uh, that I had time for things to sink in and I could also fact check some of the stuff that he said. And then he was willing to start off small at the time. You know, he's a, a bigger investor now. Uh, but um, at the time, you know, I was able to start off with $100 a month investing, 50 or 100 bucks. I forget what the number was, but uh, a small amount of money. And he's walked me through this. And there's been as many times as I've said, hey, I'm thinking about investing in this Shell Oil or Bank of America. And he'll say, Josh, I wouldn't invest in that right now. Um, man, that builds mana for me, mana from heaven, because uh, every new dollar under his management, I know he makes money on. But he says, no, I wouldn't do that right now. Um, Eric calls the same person. You know, when the stock market started to tank early in the year, uh, I put some money with both Ron and Eric and both of them have actually sidelined the money. They haven't bought in yet. There's just cash sitting there because they're trying to give me guidance and wait for the bottom. They're not wait, looking for the buck right now. They're trying to make sure that they take the best care of me. And uh, and that's super important. Um Another thing that I did early on with financial planners, uh, Ron didn't know this, but uh, I actually had three financial planners in my first five years uh, when I was 22 to 27 probably. And what I did is every month I'd invest the same amount of money with all three. And then what I do is at the end of every year, I'd look at the returns and two years into it, I fired one and three years into it, I fired another one and I had one person left. Uh, Ron was the last man standing. And I love that because I was able to look at actual yields and actual returns over seven years. Uh, with the same market, with the same deposits at the same time. And uh, there was clear performance because not all financial planners, insurance agents, mortgage guys, realtors, not all professionals are equal. And that's why it's a fair conversation. Um, past that, what I also think is super important is to have a quarterly review with your team. Mandatory, right? I have a lunch with uh, my financial guys, my insurance guys, uh, recurring quarterly conversation over the phone or literally a lunch. All it's, it, what happened was I went a period of years where I got comfortable, probably my team got a little comfortable. I was sending money in. They weren't, they were you know, saying, got it, take care of it, but they weren't calling me back other than an annual review. I just think, especially this day and age, money changes too quickly and situations and the environment and the economy changes too quickly. I think your financial situation can change too quick, quickly. And so by having a quarterly recurring meeting that you demand of your of your financial team, and it could be a 15-minute conversation on the phone is all it needs to be. It forces them to take a look at your deal, take a look at your financial situation, and uh, it, it gives some accountability. Because what's it's so interesting how few trades were happening early on in those, those years was just seven 
for those first seven years, those, those three financial players, I'd send them all money. How little I was getting reached back out of, hey, Josh, you should blank. But guess what? I, there's always an opinion in the quarterly meetings, always an opinion on those quarterly meetings. And I love these guys. I trust these guys. And they trust me too. So this is not dogging, but we all know that everyone gets busy. And if you've got a financial planner that has a hundred clients or a thousand clients, they can't look at every deal every day. But at least my guys are going to watch my financials at least once a quarter. That's going to happen. Um, insurance, I think, is the same thing. At least once a year review for property casualty at the anniversary of every uh, year, especially on your house insurance and your car insurance, you should have your insurance guy requote it for you. Um, if you don't, it's going to go up over time. If you don't fight, it's like property taxes. You don't fight property taxes every single year. Guess what? You're going to wake up in five years and you're going to be having a much higher tax bill. Uh, you should contest them every year. So with insurance, it's just, hey, take a look at mine, see if you can find a better deal. The assumption is that you're shopping around. Even if you're not shopping around, the truth is you want them to have to look at it for them to shop around. To save you 20 bucks a month, there's 20 bucks a month that you can save. Uh, so at least annually on property casualty. Life and health, once a year for sure. Every year, once a year. Um, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're not in a situation where you're overinsured or underinsured, right? So early on, uh, I'm not gonna get this exactly right, but I believe I believe the rule is is like for example, disability insurance. You can only insure up to 60% of whatever your current income is. Um, well, you might get a raise or a big raise or move companies, and that that might have changed. And um, you want to, and your lifestyle might have changed, and you might be spending more, whatever. And so watching things like, do I have enough disability insurance? Do I have enough life insurance? You know, you might have had a kid this year and your insurance guy doesn't have a clue about it, right? You might need more life insurance because shit, you have another mouth to feed for 18 years if you die today, right? So at least once you review with your insurance, people I think is super important. Uh, same thing with your will and trust attorney. If you've done a trust or will, you got to review it once a year. Um, why? Okay. Um, I've changed who would get my kids at least three times in seven years. So in the event of my wife's and my death, who would take over my kids? It's changed three years. My friendships have not changed, but their lives have changed. Their finances have changed. Their number of kids have changed. Their, where they live in the United States has changed. So in the event of my death, I don't want there to be a massive disruption. My kids have to move to Austin or Seattle. Um, if they can stay in San Antonio, obviously, uh, I want them to be with a family that's financially currently the best fiscally because you don't want there to be a situation where it's an added burden, a massive burden financially for them to take on, in my case, three additional kids. Um, and same thing with uh, who's going to have financial powers over your estate in the event of your death. Um, for years and years and years and years and years, my business partner, Dan, had financial powers um, and I trust them implicitly, or I would never have done that in the first place. Um, my company is worth more money now than it was worth seven years. Our company, Dan and I's partnership, our company is worth more than it was seven years ago. Um, it's just not right to put him in the situation. I would never doubt him ever, uh, but it's not right to put him in a situation where if he's negotiating with my estate, but also representing my estate and how to buy out my kids as an owner, what that amount should be. It's not, I should never put him in that situation. So recently I changed, he's not financial power anymore because our situation has changed. And so the the point is, is that um, who's going to be in charge and that's why you should be reviewing your will or creating will if you haven't done one, damn it, or reviewing your trust or, or creating or updating your trust is super important. And yes, it costs a little money every time you meet with an attorney, but dude, think about the worst case and the alternative. 
You know, your kids are going to be grieving. The last thing you want them to do is be uh, uh, a ward of the state temporarily or sent to some long, long lost uncle or, or aunt who doesn't give a shit um, and just wants the money. You want to avoid that. So um, an annual review Mac, uh, at, at most, a quarterly review at, in most cases minimum would be great. Only because it is relevant, I do think that mortgage reviews annually are not a bad idea. Call up your lender that you trust. Ask them to look at a refinance. It does not make sense all the time. If every time they, that you call them and say, they say, yeah, refinancing is good, you probably have the wrong lender. Um, but uh, there are times in the market that that it does make sense to cash out uh, or to shorten the term or to lower your payment, which we've covered in a different podcast before. And that's what we're what I'm really talking about here is um, you know, if you've got really a financial team, then that's an easy conversation and an honest person to say, not right now, but I'll keep an eye on it. Not right now, but I'll keep an eye on it. Hey, this makes sense right now. You need to do it right now. Um, and that's why uh, it's part of building up that team. Now, how long does it take to build this team? I don't know, a lifetime. Let's start there. Um, a conversation I think that has to be had uh, realistically is, especially if you have an older financial planner, attorney, or insurance agent that is watching your estate or your finances, you have to have a plan, a backup plan of who's going to take over if they die. Like, what is the plan? Um, who is going to be in charge in the event that uh, they retire? Um, what would be some things to, to talk with? Like, who would be their endorsement? You know, some of these financial planners and insurance guys are going to sell their business or have a younger new crop coming up behind that they're going to turn their business over to. That may or may not work for you. And it's okay to have that conversation. Like, I don't want my estate to be practiced on by the new rookie that just graduated and, and uh, has a snotty nose young brat. Um, I want my money to be managed by somebody that is, you know, already up to speed, already has years under the belt, already has a quality team, is already got, already has all the designations. Um, but having an honest conversation with, hey, who would you, you know, Ron, Eric, Tim, Daryl, Eric, um, who would you use if you died? Like, where should I go? Um, that's a good conversation to have. Down to my attorney, you know, I told my attorney, it's like, this is all great that you created my will and trust, but and, and I've got my, you know, my, my secretary and the key people know where to go in the event of my death to find you. But if you die too, what's going to happen? And thank God she has two other partners that one's younger, one's older. Hopefully one of them's still around, but I'll keep an eye on that because I'm not going to leave that up to chance. And so that's why I say this conversation of your financial team is a annual uh, recurring thing that you've got to make yourself uh, do. You know, one thing I talk about in sales and in business in general is um, you have to weekly or monthly work on your business, not just in your business. What I mean by that is we all get, we're all busy. I mean, I don't care if you're a house, uh, a housewife or house husband, you're busy. I get it. You know, taking care of kids, is a lot of work or taking care of your spouse that's needy is a lot of work. And my point in saying this is that given the opportunity to just focus on what you have to do, that's all you're going to think about. So if you don't set a recurring calendar event, within your calendar once a month or quarterly or yearly with these key people, you're going to wake up three years later and be like, holy crap, do I even have enough insurance? Do I even have a will and trust? Have I updated my will and trust? This friend that was going to take my kids, I don't even like them anymore. And they would be the one getting my kids. Um, that's what you want to avoid by a little bit of organization to work on your personal business, not just in your personal business is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and so I think that that's super important to think about. Uh, I also think it's important to share the plan with a few key people. For example, 
when it comes to will trust and estates, if it's going to be your parents or your kids or your brother or your business partner, whoever's going to be those key powers, you need to get them a copy of the will or trust because they, um, they can't, if they don't even know that they have the power, how the hell are they going to help the situation? If, if your spouse is in a coma and you don't know how to get a hold of the financial power of attorney, it's still, you're still stuck, right? So you got to get that, that information to a couple people that likely wouldn't be in the same car if you're in a car wreck, right? Uh, like I said earlier, my secretary uh, has access and knows where all the key people are to contact in the event of my death. Um, but my parents also have a copy. And, and I've got a copy of my parents' wills and trusts. And, and you should have that uh, so that if the, the inevitable happens, because remember, death and taxes, boys and girls, going to happen eventually. And I promise you, it's never at the timing of your choice. It's never at the time of your choice. So that's why you got to uh, disperse that information and have that financial plan and share that. One last tip that I would give when it comes to creating that team, interviewing that team, holding that team accountable and updating it regularly. This doesn't apply when you're just starting out, but there is a concept called having a board of directors of your life. So what's a board of directors of your life? Again, you're going to surround yourself with people that are lifting you, lifting your lid, moving you up. You know, you are who you surround with, you surround yourself with. But having people that are have a non-interested as far as monetary gain and giving you counsel and doing a semi-annual uh, dinner that you host, that you invite these mentors, godparents, financial wizards, into your life and just say, hey, listen, I want to have a board of directors. I'm going to lay out all the changes in my life. I'll tell people uh, what's going on financially, what my savings look like, what my insurance, being totally transparent, and then being open to feedback on a semi-annual or an annual basis. Uh, I've found that that is actually a really good outlet as you keep growing your wealth into places that are unknown or uncomfortable for you. Because again, it's not what you know that's going to kill kill the cow. It's it's what you don't know, um, and so whether there are uh, additional protections when you should incorporate, when you should S corp, when you should uh, add on um, insurance like an umbrella policy, uh, when you should get rid of your long term care policy, when you should have long term care policy, when you should upgrade or downgrade your life insurances or your disability insurances. Getting a feedback from a group of peers that have your and your family's best interest in mind at the cost of you buying them a nice dinner and sitting down talking with them and letting them see into your life and taking that feedback and, and them holding you accountable to working on that. Uh, I am seeing more and more of that amongst my own peer group. And I think it's extremely valuable. Um, at very least having a financial coach or a financial mentor, again, that it gets no personal gain but that you asked to meet with you for 30 minutes every six months for coffee or an hour for coffee, just to give you some critical feedback and advice and guidance over this year. Because remember, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. It is a marathon to financial freedom. It's a marathon to retirement. It's another marathon to keep that financial, uh, uh, you know, whatever you have for retirement available through your, the entire, your entire life after you've stopped your work, it's a marathon, it's a marathon, it's a marathon, and it's exhausting, it takes a team. When you run a marathon 
at every couple miles, every mile, there's somebody holding water out. There's somebody holding Gatorade out. And at the end of it, there's somebody that's doing massages and there's a doctor for people to give you, uh, you know, CPR if there's a real freaking problem, which would be the case, by the way, if I ran a marathon. I, this male sized body, this human body, not meant to run long, long distances. Uh, but my point is, is that you got to think about your financial future as that marathon with lots of people reaching out to help you along the way. So I hope this was helpful for you in amassing your financial team. Uh, again, this is Josh Sigmund. You are listening to Sigmund Sense. If you found value or you think somebody else could find value from this, please, please, please like, subscribe, share, give us some commentary. And if there's an, another uh, episode or content that you'd like us to put down, um, looks like we're going to be quarantined for a little bit longer. I've got nothing but time, baby. Uh, we will see you later. God bless. Stay safe. Keep your hands clean. Bye-bye. <laughs>